Well, isn't it true that we humans are really, really good at thinking about what will happen today or what will happen tomorrow? We're really good at pondering our lives in light of next week's vacation or next month's promotion or next year's graduation. But how often do we take time to align our lives in light of eternity? Today we'll investigate what pursuing greatness looks like in light of eternity. And I must say up front that there's a certain amount of morbidity uh, that comes along with uh, a sermon like this. See, if we're to really comprehend our place in eternity, we must consider really how short our lives are and how fleeting they are. And in the reality that unless Christ returns first, we will all Someday die. Now, the great um, English pastor and poet John Donne, he lived in the late 1500s to the early 1600s. He actually went out and bought a coffin and put it in his bedroom. And occasionally he would sleep in his coffin as a reminder of his mortality. Now, I'm not asking us to do that. (laughs) Go out and buy a coffin. I've been told you can't even find one if you want to buy one. I tried to have a coffin just here to, like, spook you. Uh, but uh, I, try, I called around to the funeral homes. They don't even have them. They, they order them on the spot when you need them. I guess the next day delivery or something like that. But anyway, no coffins. But it is healthy for us, believe it or not, to actually ponder such things. Now, the passage that we're going to be studying comes from the book in Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. It's important maybe to give you a little background on this book. It's usually the subject of a lot of jokes or something, kind of like Leviticus. The English word Ecclesiastes comes from the Greek word, which is a translation of the Hebrew word koholeth. Uh, koholeth is a Hebrew word that's based on another word, which means an assembly or, or a congregation. And so a koholeth is someone who spoke to a congregation, which is why our English Standard Version translates koholeth. Uh, with the preacher. We'll see that in our passage. Seven times it is used in in the the book of Ecclesiastes. So that's how we get the name Ecclesiastes. Um, Ecclesiastes is is the genre or style of of writing is that of wisdom literature. The writer, the preacher who gathered these words together, was hoping to impart wisdom to God's people. In our case, wisdom, in light of the fact that our lives are short and fleeting, how were we to live our lives? So we're looking at the last chapter and a half of this book of Ecclesiastes, and it's in page 559 in your pew Bible, or you can find it in your own Bible, or you can read it along in the bulletin. All right, here we go. Chapter 11, verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, 
before the evil days come and the years draw near in which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God, Who gave it? Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd, my son, Beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God... If you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these are heavy words, heavy upon our souls today. It's perhaps not something we desired to do waking up this morning, but to ponder eternity is a good thing. And to ponder your grace towards us that reaches into this broken world and gives us hope is an even better thing. We pray your spirit upon us. We pray for illumination of this text. We pray that we would walk out of here with a deep and abiding love for our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Those of you who know me know that I like to grill. I like to grill steaks and hamburgers and chicken and fish and and ribs. I'll even grill in the rain. Maybe not a pouring rain. Certainly a drizzle. Have you ever seen drizzle, a raindrop, land on the lid of a sizzling hot grill? What happens? It's, it's gone. It's vaporized. It's quite a sight to behold. No more raindrop. It's vaporized. The writer to Ecclesiastes is telling us that this is what the human life is. It's a on the grill of eternity. The very first words out of his mouth at the beginning of this book and all throughout the book, and including in our passage, he says, vanity of vanities. 38 times in this entire book, vanities of vanities. In verse 8, we read, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. 
Vanity is the English word. The, the Hebrew word is hebel. Hebel. You know what hebel means? It means breath or, or vapor. Hebel. Hebel of hebel. Vanity of vanities. The human life. It's like vapor on a grill. Sobering thought, isn't it? Especially sober when we consider what he had said in chapter 3. The preacher says this amazing statement. God has put eternity in the heart of man. God has put eternity in your heart. A cow cannot fathom eternity. A fish cannot plan for tomorrow. A giraffe does not wonder if he is making a difference in the world. But a human being does. I remember when this reality of eternity hit home for me. I was 10 years old. One of my grandfathers had just died. And I laid awake in the bottom bunk, fixated upon the reality that I would never, never, ever see him again. God has set eternity in the hearts of man. Hebel. How does one deal with Hebel? How do you deal with Hebel? I don't know. I can't really speak for you, but chances are you do what most human beings do is you suppress it. The reality. It's like a ringing in your ears that goes away when you turn the volume up. So we turn the volume up in our lives. If you've read this book, Ecclesiastes, you know that that's what the preacher has done. The Koholeth. He tried everything. Preacher said that he tried pursuing wisdom. He became wiser than anybody in Jerusalem. And he found that, that, uh, that, that wisdom was a striving after the wind. Good luck trying to grab the wind. He tried self-indulgence. I think that's what most of us do. We, we self-indulge. He had more treasure than anyone in Jerusalem. He could buy any pleasure he wanted, and he went that route. He says that he had great houses and vineyards that he bought for himself. He, he bought servants and huge flocks and herds. He gathered in silver and gold. He hired rock bands to play at his mansion. <laughs> okay, well, the, at least the ancient equivalent of that. He threw huge parties. He had concubines, too many to sleep with. He did whatever his eyes desired. And then he wrote, I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was all vanity, hebel, a striving after the wind. It's all hebel. Even the accomplishments of the best life against the against the time frame of eternity is hebel. All the things that we do are just on the grill of time. But maybe not. Maybe when our lives are placed into the hands of our creator. He is able to accomplish greatness and wonder in our lives. Maybe the words of Maximus from the movie Gladiator are true when he says what we do in life Echoes in eternity.
in order to study this passage, we must realize that these words were written hundreds of years before Jesus Christ. Those of you who you know, study scriptures, you know that, that in the Old Testament, the light of the gospel is dim. But as you move through it, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter until you get to the New Testament. You get to Christ and it's just a big explosion of light and understanding. Thankfully, we have the rest of God's words to add to the words of the Koholith, but we, we must not discount his words. He says in chapter 12, verse 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Don't wait till you're older to remember your creator. Now, the, the preacher isn't merely calling us to some sort of mental exercise. Oh, yeah, remember. Yeah, like, like you remembered to buy the milk, right? That's not what he's getting at. Here's what Kidner says, Derek Kidner. He says, to remember God is not purely a mental act. It it is to drop our pretense of self-sufficiency and commit ourselves to him. Remember your creator. In other words, entrust your life to him. Seek purpose in him. Find joy in him and his desires for you in your life. And so this is our main point this morning. Because your life is like a vapor, you must entrust it to your creator. We're going to divide our time looking in two areas. First, we're going to look at the hebel and then the hope. We've got a new word in our vocabulary, don't we? Hebel. All right. Bless you. Our text presents us three reasons why we have hebel in our life. Because life is sweet, because life is sour, and because life is short. First, life is sweet. We see this in chapter 11, verses 7 through 10. You know, the Bible teaches you that we are to unabashedly enjoy the life God has given us. There is a sweetness and a beauty to being alive, is there not? That's one of the reasons why... Life can be so troubling. We know how sweet it is, but we know how quick it can vanish and hardships can enter in. But let's not discount the fact that life is sweet. Look at verse 7. It says light. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Verse 9 says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. The metaphor of light and sun is a metaphor of being alive, to have the warmth of the sun on your face. There's a sweetness to be enjoyed in life. It's a good thing when your heart desires joy and delight in this world. And so we're to pursue after that. Now, many people don't think that that's the message of Christianity. Many people think that Christianity invites you to boredom, right? Uh, My pastor friend, John Yenchko, who's... uh, one of the uh, overseeing elders of our church for now, uh, he, he likes to say, he says, Jesus is not the booby prize. <laughs> you know, people think that, you know, that, oh, well, you know, Christianity is boring. I got this, you know, I'm being invited to this staid life of no fun. Young people, don't let anybody ever try to convince you that, even if they're a Christian. All right. This passage shows us that there is a sweetness, sweetness to life. You know, many people have this notion that if they actually just desire to have a, a joyful day, that um, that it's unbiblical. Like, like when Jesus returns, he better find you in Kenya handing out Bible tracts. But lo and behold, if he finds you sharing a milkshake with a friend, right? 
Some people, have, some Christians have that kind of pervading attitude in their whole lives. The, the preacher corrects that thinking. He says, it's oh so good to be alive. Let your heart cheer you. Follow after your heart's desires. Enjoy it, especially now while you're young. Don't be paralyzed. Don't waste your life. The writer Sidney Greedness makes this insightful point. Even when we live many years, the preacher says, we should rejoice in every one of those years. Sometimes we take life for granted. We don't enjoy the present. We would just as soon skip over certain days. We look forward to the weekend, or we look forward to our vacation, or we look forward to retirement. The preacher urges us not to waste any time. I don't know about you, that's a rebuke on my own life. I can be so busy doing church work, all right, that I neglect the joy that's in my own household. How about you? What are you wrapped up in? The preacher says, don't let the hurts of life cause you to miss the joys of life. We see that in verse 10. He says, remove vexation. To be vexated is to be irritated or annoyed. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. The preacher is saying, don't let the brokenness in your life irritate you. Are you having back pains? you have a bad knee? Don't let the pains of your body cause you to miss out on the joy of life. And isn't that what happens as we get older? The burdens and the weight of, of aging, it, it, it causes us to, to, to um, audit life, right? I'm skipping out. I'm hurt too much. He's saying don't let the pains of your body um, cause you from enjoying the days that God has given you. Hopefully it's a welcome thought to realize that, that God has given us our lives so that we may rejoice in them, that we may enjoy the years that God has given us. And check this out. God will actually judge you for how well you joyfully enjoy the days he has given you. We see that in our text here. Verse 9 of chapter 11. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. He's not, this isn't judgment as in, like, for your sins. It's just like, what are you doing with your days? You know, um, God will hold you and me accountable for how we steward our lives, right? You remember what a steward is? A steward is someone who doesn't own the estate, but he manages the estate for the estate owner. And a good steward will manage the estate as if it's his very own. What we're seeing here is God has given you a life. He's going to take it back someday, and it's yours to steward. He will hold you accountable for these days. What are you doing with them? Young people, he's speaking to you. What are your plans for life? Where will you find your joy? Uh, what, where are you, what are you striving for? Make sure it's something that, you, that, is, um, that honors God. Make sure that it's something that um, flows from him, that it, when you return your life back to him, you will, will show him that you've stewarded it well. When I was uh, a boy, my brother and I, we were like junior high and high school, our parents bought us encyclopedia set. Now, for the younger people here, you don't, you don't even know what that is. It's a giant set of books from A to Z, and it's got just about everything they can pack in there. You know, past presidents, mountain ranges, you know, uh, you know the Ottoman Empire. And, and you'd write a book report, and you wouldn't go online. You'd actually get your books, and you would 
you know, use them and write a report. Some of the older folks here are smiling. Uh, my brother and I used those a lot. I guess you could say we stewarded them well. And I know it brought great delight to my mother and father when they saw us stewarding the gifts that they had given us. So, too, God has given you a life to steward. He calls you to live it to its fullest. Enjoy it. But we need to understand that, 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 that this isn't a, a calling to live irresponsibly for your own pleasure, but it's to live knowing that we're responsible to a creator for the life that he has given us and that we will one day return to him. Do you view your life in light of eternity this way? Life is sweet. We must entrust it to our creator. But life is also sour, sweet and sour. It's not a candy. But uh, anyway, uh, we see this in verses one through five of chapter 12. Life is sour. We must entrust our lives to our creator. In chapter eight, we kind of he kind of tempers us with regards to this exuberance in our life when he says the days of darkness will be many. And now beginning in chapter 12, verse 1, the preacher says that we are to remember, that is, we are to entrust ourselves to our Creator because life becomes sour. That is, there's a point in time, maybe you can't put a finger on the day, but when your life moves from being mostly sweet to being mostly sour. Here's the text. Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your, your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Now, when he speaks of evil days, he's not talking about wicked living. He is talking about the unpleasantness that comes with the deterioration of, of old age. You know, my daughter Grace, is, she has this ability to, to reach back and grab her foot. And lift it up and pull it. I can't even begin to try it. But pull it up and then places it on top of her head. Right? Maybe I should do it for you later. Make sure you stretch first. All right. If ever there was a day in my life where I could have done that, it was long ago. The only way in which the bottom of my foot can touch the top of my head is if I'm in a serious car crash. All right? Let's not hope that happens. But... You get the point. The older you get, the harder life becomes because our bodies break down, our minds become less sharp, and troubles are magnified. Kids don't spend a whole lot of time pondering this coming age, do they? They don't. You try to get them to, they don't. But we should try. See, kids, you think acne is bad? Just wait till wrinkles, right, kick in, right? You know, you know. Just wait until you, until you no longer grow hair on your head and, and it actually starts growing out of your nose or your, or your ears, right? No joke. Uh, for Christmas, I was like in my early 30s, Leslie's uh, sister and brother-in-law, stocking stuffer they gave me. It was one of those battery-operated nose and ear trimmer things. And I remember getting it and I was kind of ticked. I'm like, what the heck? Is this like a gag gift? Like, why in the world would someone... Give me this. I threw it away. Two years ago, I bought one. (laughs) Somebody may live many, many years, but there will be a day when the evil days 
hit home. The summer of life turns to autumn, and autumn turns to winter. And you will find it hard to have pleasure in those days. The preacher uses this imagery of a storm coming in to describe what this life is like. Look at verse 2, chapter 12. So we're to remember our creator in the days of our youth before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. The preacher is likening old age to a storm rolling in and the clouds never leaving. One commentator writes, old age can be a season of darkness. There is no break in the clouds to let some sunlight through. The clouds return with the rain. Elderly people receive one setback after another. They fall and break a hip. They get pneumonia. One of their children gets into trouble with the law. Another has marital problems. A good friend dies. It is one depressing thing after another. The clouds return with the rain. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before those days of gloom and darkness overtake you. It'll be very difficult to remember your creator in those days of darkness, and things will get worse. Beginning in verse 3, the preacher begins another analogy. He describes vividly how the body of an old man is like a house that is falling apart. I'll run through it really quickly because some, some of you here are like, I need to know all the, all the explanations for all this stuff. So here we go. In the day when the keepers of the house trembles, keepers of the house of the hands, with age they can begin to tremble And the strong men are bent. Those are the legs which lose their strength. And the grinders cease because they are few. Grinders are what? Teeth. They fall out. Back then you couldn't put them back in. You know? All right. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. What are those? Those are your eyes. They look through the windows. And and the doors of the street are shut. Those are your ears. Hearing tends to go away. The sound of the grinding is low. Not many teeth. Can't eat um, hard-crusted bread. Only soft food. One rises up at the sound of a bird. I started to do this. One little bird outside early in the morning. I am up. I'm like, gosh. Can't sleep. You're a light sleeper. All the daughters of song are brought low. Probably referring to the kind of the raspiness of one's voice as you age. Maybe not be able to sing and pitch. Um, they're afraid of what's high. No more climbing on ladders or steep steps. And terrors are in the way. They used to walk on paths. There would be rocky paths. And you have to avoid that. Can you imagine? As you get older, you're, you're afraid of what's in front of you. You move slowly. And the almond tree blossoms. From a distance, an almond tree looks like a, a white hair of an, of an elderly person. And the grasshopper drags itself along. The grasshopper is the embodiment of being light on one's feet. And so too is an old... Uh, so too, you know, like a grasshopper drags its feet, so too is an elderly man... Who walks along and desire fails. The Hebrew word for desire here is the word for caperberry. Caperberry was used to, to uh, enhance appetite, to cause people to become hungry. Um, and as you get older, your appetite wanes. Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. The picture here is of advanced age. Death is near. A funeral is around the corner. Our lives are hevel. We live a few decades and they begin to deteriorate and decay. And it's not long until we're tempted to say, I have no pleasure in them. My father used to say, he's passed away. He got old and gray. And, uh, he was on oxygen and stuff. He, he said, he would say, if these are the golden years, 
I can't wait for the platinum. <laughs> he liked the fact that that still makes a joke uh, laugh there. That's good. Um, see, there, there is a, a sourness to life that's unavoidable. So what we see is, is, is there's hebel in the life. It's both sweet and sour, but it's also short. Life is short. Verses 6 and 7, the preacher presents us with images. We'll just go really qu- quickly through them, but that life is short. The silver cord is snapped. The bowl, golden bowl is broken. The pitcher is shattered at the fountain. The wheel broken at the cistern. And dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. These items are all valuable items. But they get cut or broken or destroyed and they're gone. Your life is short and most people's lives come to an abrupt ending. And as dust returns to the ground, so too our bodies are laid in the ground and your spirit returns to God who gave it to you. Our lives are hevel, sweet but sour and short. And the preacher summarizes all of it in verse 8. You see that? It's a summary of all he just said. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vapor. Vapor of vapor. Our lives are vapor. Drizzle on a grill. Now, why does the preacher go to so much uh, length to, to, to say these words, to give us great imageries of what it looks like? Well, he wants to point us somewhere. He wants to, to wake us up. Look at, at verse 11. He, he says his words are like goads. You know what a goad is? It was, it's a stick, a sharp stick that, that ranchers or farmers or, or shepherds would use to, to poke the sheep, to poke the uh, 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 cattle, to, to get it to move in the right direction, right? Um, goads cause pain. That's why the animals move. He says, these words are goads. And they are painful, right? This is not a... To, to properly comprehend the hebel of our life, it causes pain. And rightly so. But the, the writer goads us, not just so we sit in our pain, but he tries to get us going in the right direction. And what's the right direction for us to move in light of the hebel in our life? The right direction is to move towards our Creator, who has given us life. That's where our hope is found. All right? We spent a lot of time in Hebel. Hope's going to be real short. All right? um, the, the, the preacher ends the book of Ecclesiastes saying, End of the matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, what does it mean to fear God? And what does this have to do with with having hope in the midst of our of our hevel? Uh, once again, Sidney Greenness writes this. He says to fear God is not to be terrified of God, but to stand in awe of him. God is the almighty creator. We are mere creatures. God is eternal. We are finite vapor. God is sovereign. We are dependent. God is holy. We are sinners. It is only fitting that we stand in awe of the eternal almighty creator God. To fear God is to take God seriously, to acknowledge him in our lives as the highest good, to revere him, to honor and worship him, and check this out, to center our lives on him. Our lives in the midst of the hevel become lives of hope when they're centered on our creator. We are to trust our lives to him. Only God is eternal. He alone holds time in his hands. He created time. He's the only one who defines what goodness is. Should we not turn to him? 
He's the one who's responsible for the spirit that is in you. He's the only one who can forgive you your sins. So we ought to fear God and keep his commandments because guess what? That's the, the way to fulfill God's plan for our lives. It's the very best way of being human in this broken world. So pursuing greatness in light of eternity means that we entrust our lives to the will and the ways of the one who made us in his image. Because our lives are hevel, it's only fitting that we entrust our lives to the one who gives hope in the midst of our hevel. Now that's the point of Ecclesiastes. Right? But let's, let's move from the shadows of the Old Testament to the light of the New Testament, to the light of Christ. Because God sent his son to live and to die and to rise again, the pessimism of the grave in the Old Testament has been replaced by the triumph and the hope of the empty tomb in the New Testament. Because, because of this, Jesus came to earth. Check this out. Try to, try to comprehend this. Jesus became Hebel for us. I mean, is that not what the incarnation is? Infinite God taken on finite flesh, eternal God entering into time and space, entering into the brokenness of this world to be surrounded with disease and death and decay and sorrow and tears and moaning. To see Lazarus dead in the tomb, his good friend. Jesus entered into heaven for us. Jesus went to the cross, and on the cross there was a sound. As his life was expired out, he truly died. It ended. Like you and you and me, our destiny, he experienced. But what we come to understand about, the, about Jesus' death is not an ordinary death. Hebel couldn't hold him. This wasn't the end for Christ. The tomb is empty. He rose. And out of his resurrection, that's where we find our resurrection. The hope in the midst of our Hebel is the one who came and entered into it to have victory over it. Earlier, Sally Spanberg read from Revelation 21, where Revelation is this amazing book at the end of the Bible, where, where all, everything that went wrong in the world gets uh, fixed in Christ. And, and, and so the Apostle John sees a future of, of what God is doing. And he sees what the new heavens and new earth are like. They come down and God dwells with his people. Remember the picture as we read that in, in Revelation 21 is it comes down to a restored earth. What do we see there? There's, there's no more sin. There's no more death. There's no more crying. There's no more sorrow. There's, there's no, more, more, no more pain. No more hebel. Why? Do you see what Jesus says? He speaks and he says these amazing words. He says, for the former things have passed away. In Christ, Hebel dies. Picture that. One day it will pass away. In Christ, according to his plan, Hebel becomes Hebel. You follow me on that? The vapor that consumes all of us, the vapor that causes us dread 
and worry and fear that causes us to chafe at, chase after temporal things to turn the volume up in our lives so we don't even contemplate the reality that we're, 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 our lives are short and sour. It all becomes vaporized. Christ is the one who puts it all away. It lands on the grill of Christ's accomplishments. Hebel will one day be gone in Christ Jesus. Not through you and your efforts to try to fix yourself or fix this world. Not because some government's going to somehow make this world a, finally a great place. Until Christ returns, people will die. And they will die with tubes down their throats. They will die with loved ones not even around. They will die in all kinds of circumstances until Christ returns. And that's to be where your hope is in Christ and what he's done. In Christ alone, our hope is found. Maybe those words are familiar with you. We sing that song kind of regularly here at Grace Church. It opens with, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. And the last verse describes what Christ has done for us. How hope comes to us despite our hevel. It says, no guilt in life. No, no, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no schemes of man can ever pluck me from his hands till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Powerful words. Jesus' death means you do not have to fear death. Jesus took the penalty for your sins on the cross so that this coming judgment is all upon him. When you stand in his presence someday, and all people will, Jesus will judge every single person. If you belong to him, if you trust in him now, um, you will be his. And his blood will speak over you, and you will be welcomed. If you're curious what this body is going to be like in the new heavens and new earth, read 1 Corinthians 15. Mark, I want to know what this is all about. Well, 1 Corinthians 15 gives you an insight. Or you can just take Jesus' words for it. Remember when he called Lazarus out of the tomb? Right before he did that, he said, what? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Then he said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus says, if you believe in him, though you die, you will never die. And if he returns before, before you die, you'll never experience death. That's either an outlandish, cruel promise of a deluded madman, or the very answer, your heart, that understands eternity, longs for. That's the gospel. Not only does Christ take away fear and death, he gives us comfort and joy in the present. Jesus said to, to his followers at one time, and he says to us through scriptures, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. What do you think he's offering you? He's offering to minister you in the here and now in the midst of your hevel. Come to him. Is your body shutting down? Come to him. Is your mind failing? Come to him. Has a dear spouse departed and died? Come to him. 
Is your marriage in difficulty? Come to him. Are your friends mistreating you? Come to him. Has your retirement account tanked? Come to him. For all your hevel, Christ alone is your hope here and now. When life is sour and sweet, come to him. But not only this, Jesus gives us a purpose. A lot of people try to address the hevel in their life by leaving a legacy. You know, well, I'm going to create this big business or I'm going to amass a lot of money to pass along. You know what they find out? They found out that typically by the third generation, all the inheritance is gone, right? Malcolm Gladwell, in his latest book, um, David and Goliath, talks about how one of the worst things you can do as a wealthy person is, is to be wealthy. Be- because the second generation is so entitled. They don't work hard. I'm giving you generalizations, not, not in all cases. But that's, that's the truth. Jesus brings this reality into your life, it, that, that what you do on earth that honors him will last for eternity. The college you went to will not matter 4,237 years from now. That cool shirt you just bought will eventually be lost in the closet of time. But Jesus says that what we do for his glory, for God's glory, we can take and expect to see in the new heavens and new earth. Once again, that passage from Revelation 21 that Sally read, she, she said that there will one day be when, when kings and nations bring their glory into the new heavens and new earth. On the one hand, yes, this is, this is you using your life to share this message of hope with other people, and they become followers of Christ. My father, I, uh, I was a Christian for a long time. He always rejected the gospel. Once I thought he was half brain dead, he received Christ. And I had to ask him the next week, do you remember what you did? And he's like, oh, yeah, I remember what I did. All right. He became a follower of Christ in old age. And, you know, my, my father is a result of, of the work of the gospel and the work of me sharing the gospel with my dad. That's something that's going to last for all eternity. That is a legacy, right? You know, right now my dad is experiencing the platinum years. <laughs> And for our kids, the most important things that our kids can come to understand is, is that there really is a God. And life is short. Yeah, it's sweet, but it's also sour. And we're going to all die someday. And we need a Savior. So certainly the glory being brought in are people. But more than that, it, it's the, the culture. You know, you think you're going to get into heaven and you're an artist here on earth. And God's going to say, sorry, we're, we're, we have no canvases, no paint for you. Right? Understand this. You're going to have a bodily existence in the new heavens and new earth. Do you like to bake and cook? <laughs> Imagine how amazing the foods can be that you're going to create. You will not need any caper berries. <laughs> right? It stimulates appetite. Okay. Um, the things that you enjoy and you desire to do that are God-honoring, making a milkshake with someone and opening up your home and sharing a meal. You know, the Koch's went to Germany. They moved to Germany a couple weeks ago. One thing they learned here at Grace Church is how to open up your home and to welcome people and be hospitable. Right now, the home that they're going to live in isn't available. They're living in a hostel, and they're surrounded by people from all over the world. And on Friday night, they threw a huge feast for everybody in the hostel. You know, the things that we do that, 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 that we... That, that, that our heart's desires, that are good and honoring to the Lord, these things will be brought with us into the age to come. 
we'll, we'll still be listening to Bach because it's beautiful and God-honoring. Only in Christ is this possible. Only by his grace does Hebel become Hebel. Only by his grace does all that is sour get swallowed up in sweetness. Whether you're young or old or somewhere in between, I hope you get this. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we give our lives to you. We entrust ourselves to you. Oh, how we need to be goaded by your scriptures so that we can rightly comprehend who we are in light of eternity. I pray for those people here who are fearful of death and and haunted by the reality of the eternal. I pray that you would show them Christ here and now, that they would trust in him. For those of us who have bowed a knee and come to faith, I pray that we would be all the more reminded of how important our lives are, that we would enjoy them for your glory, that we would seek after the things which we delight in, that you're pleased in, but may we steward our lives well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.